Angelica, where's your favorite place to eat in town? Portland being the town. Um, I feel like that changes a lot based on, you know, which restaurants close. Mm. I don't have any long-standing favorites, although anything Naomi Pomeroy opens and runs usually is my favorite. Mm -hmm. Did you ever go to Ripe Cooperative? No, you kept telling me to, but it's hard to get out of the neighborhood when you have a kid. Yeah, and it is closer to where I am. It was incredible. Um, I loved that place. They closed last fall. Oh, gosh, I loved it so much. Beast was so good. DOC, which she um, had before. Did you ever go to DOC? I've never been to any of her places. I've seen her on television. Oh, God. I've never actually eaten at any of her places. DOC was probably one of the best restaurant experiences of my life. This goes back probably a decade, mm -hmm. I think. And it was, I used to live on that side in Concordia and we could just walk there. And it's, you know, you walk through the kitchen where they're cooking. It's tiny, tiny. So you walk right through the middle of the chaos and there's only, I don't know, I think there were seven tables and it's a couple hours and it was, it was always 10 out of 10. Wow. Beast, we always stayed away from because that was the big one for her, Beast. But mm -hmm. that was the, the sitting with strangers. Yep. And I just... I don't want to pay a lot of money to do that. Yeah. So I did that once and that it the food was good, but it was my least favorite experience of her restaurants. I think Ripe Cooperative was the best food and it was, um, you know, they opened during the pandemic. Yeah. And, you know, we, I think every time I went, we sat outside, but just to have a martini and some oysters and whatever bread she cooks up with you know she would do like an anchovy paste and it was just like the best thing you've ever eaten she's mm -hmm. so talented but i have so many favorite restaurants in portland what are yours i'd like to say that i have fancy places i like like the ones you're talking about but again with the kid and yeah. the changing nature of the restaurant scene um the only real fancy place that i could say i really love that i have been to enough to like have a strong opinion is ava jean's um, on Belmont, um, not Belmont division, uh, just fantastic. We had, uh, just stumbled in there once and sat at the kitchen table, you know, the, the, the bar overlooking yeah. the kitchen and we did the chef's meal and they just bring out whatever they feel like serving you and you just watch them cook it while you're eating it. That was amazing. But honestly, on a day-to-day -day basis, the places I go to and like the most are fire in the mountain. Cause I love chicken wings. <laughs> I mean, I'm a simple man. Yeah we go to double mountain and we live in near Woodstock. And so we go to double mountain a lot and have pizza and beer. Um, I wish I could, you know, have these fancier experiences. We just don't get to them much. Yeah. You're yeah, August is still young and you still have to get a babysitter and it's kind of a hassle. Um, so you're probably still in the, let's go to the kid friendly place or the food carts, which we do all the time because we take our kits. I mean, I love Matt's barbecue. That's like top five for me in Portland. Eam. Oh God. Yeah. But again, it's, it's all regional, right? So you live on yeah. that side of that yeah, part of town. Exactly. I'm, in South I'm East, salivating so. right now. God, we have so much good food here. <laughs> we end up at uh, the Mercado, the Portland Mercado a lot. I don't know if you've not, if you've been there. Um, I have not. It's it's awesome. It's a food cart pod slash kind of community market area. It's all uh, food carts from different Latin American countries. So every, you know, they've got 10 different countries represented there. And then there's a bar that's kid friendly. So we can sit outside and have a drink and have have some tacos and some arepas and some other, 
you know, specialties. You can get a Cubano or whatever you want from all these Latin American countries, you know, and that's a really fun place to go. We can bike there, which is nice. It's like, you know, five mile bike ride, but that's not bad on bike. And August eats all that food. Uh, Yeah. I mean, he doesn't eat all of it, but we can find stuff that he will eat for sure. Yeah. I was going to say good for you, but I don't want to give parents that much credit because I have one kid who eats everything and one kid, the 14 year old who still eats like a toddler. You know, you're always told just introduce stuff 30 times and eventually they'll like it. Well, I have done the same thing with both my kids. I think we're just born the way we're born. Yeah. And my son doesn't eat crazy stuff for the most part although we've discovered if we can convince him something is a meatball in any form he'll eat it oh that's good oh no that's hide anything in a meatball yeah exactly no like we we had him eat some like uh um uh kebab type no we're like no that's just a flat meatball oh okay and he just eats it meatballs are delicious he just loves meatballs so you know he he eats soup dumplings now because we're like oh no that's just a meatball inside of uh, some pastry and there's some yummy soup in there okay sure and he'll eat any you know it's just he kids are so funny oh my god i'm so hungry now welcome to film swap the podcast where we challenge each other to watch the movies that we've let slip through the cracks or purposely shoved into the cracks for whatever reasons i'm nick bull And I'm Angelica Thornton, and today we're talking about Pig. I'm looking for a truffle pig. Someone's star. I don't understand. Tell me you are. You made the right choice being out there in the woods. There's nothing here for you anymore. There's really nothing here for most of us. Buy yourself a new pig. We don't get a lot of things to really care about. Who has my pig? Pig is a 2021 American drama written and directed by Michael Sarnowski in his directorial debut. It stars Nicolas Cage as a truffle hunter who lives alone in the Oregon wilderness and must return to Portland in search of his beloved foraging pig after it is stolen from his house. It also stars Alex Wolf as his kind of co-worker sort of guy and his Alex Wolf's dad, Adam Arkin, who plays sort of the villain. Uh, it was released in the U.S. in July of 2021. It got a lot of praise. Uh, it won an Independent Spirit Award for Best First Screenplay and got Nicolas Cage some notice as well. Um, it was a an indie, so it was very cheap. They don't say how much it cost to make. It only made $4 million at the box office, but of course it was released smack dab in the middle of COVID. Uh, I know it did okay on streaming. Uh, I think it's an interesting movie angelica what are your impressions of this movie i liked it a lot i um didn't really know what i was getting into people have mentioned it to me before because i have a 10 year old who's obsessed with pigs and just loves pigs and they're like you should watch pig i'm really isn't about the pig right but i didn't realize um i guess i just didn't realize what the plot really was i knew it was portland i knew this guy was searching for his truffle pig didn't realize he was this chef didn't realize 
you know, there was this whole restaurant scene um, in the movie, like the the <laughs> the underworld of the Portland restaurant scene. Um, and I'm glad because I it was a nice surprise to me. I kind of went into the movie pretty ignorant. Mm-hmm. And I was really surprised by his character and his background. And I really enjoyed it. Yeah. So why why hadn't you seen it? Just because if COVID flew under the radar? Yeah. Yeah. COVID under the radar, just kind of on the list, but never really got to it. Did they shoot this before COVID happened and then they had to put on hold? Do we know that? That's a good question. Um, yeah. Uh, they shot it in 2019. Okay. It's really quick shoot. They only only took 20 days to shoot. Here wow. Wow. Which makes sense. I mean, the scale of it is so small and intimate and all of the scenes are, you know, in houses or there's no special effects. I mean, there's it's a pretty simple story. Just really good acting. Um, I was obsessed with recognizing places and rewinding. Yeah. And it's like, is that the St. John's beer porch food carts? At one point, I'm like, I think this is up the street. I still couldn't tell just because of the way it was shot and the lighting and everything. Obviously, there's recognizable places, but um, it was cool to to check out Portland. This is why I love uh, Oregon Month. Um, and, and along those lines, let's let's talk about some of those places real quick before we move on. Yeah. Huber's restaurant makes a very important cameo. And if you've ever been to Huber's, you'll instantly recognize it. Huber's, of course, the famous historic local turkey place. It's a restaurant that got its name serving turkey, turkey dinners, turkey sandwiches to hungry workers in downtown Portland 100 years ago. Uh, now it's a great place to go for Turkey, but they're now famous mostly for their Spanish coffee, which you always go get around Christmas time and they set it on fire, right? Table side. They've got the restaurant up front that they walk through and then they walk into the back where the bar is. And it's got this great glass dome with natural light coming in. It's just a beautiful bar space. Um, my wife used to work in that building also. So we would go there for happy hour, uh, and then he walks back through the kitchen into the fight club. And now I don't know if that exists, but, uh, I recognized uh, Huber's instantly. Another, this is totally personal to me, but another place I located in the movie right away was the apartment uh, that uh, the, the his buddy lives in, um, whose na- character's name I'm forgetting. Uh, Alex Wolf's character. I'm going to hit myself in the face here if I don't remember. Amir. Yes, that's right. So Amir, his apartment is the same building my in-laws live in. No, very distinctive Weird. downtown across from the art museum. Oh, that's funny. I remember they've told us they knew that Nicolas Cage was filming a movie there. So there was a couple of days shoot there in an empty unit. So and is this like South Park blocks kind of area? Rover by PSU by the yeah, art. makes sense to shoot something over there. Very Portland yeah. looking. Yeah. So that's kind of a fun little Easter egg for me. I'm like, holy crap. You know, I know that because all the apartments look the same, yeah. you know. Um, and then, you know, all the bridge shots, there's just a lot of recognizable, the, the house he goes back to, and he, he has that weird encounter with the little boy. I feel like, you know, when he walks around this back of the house, the house he used to live in, Yeah, I feel like that's every single house in Portland. I'm looking at the alley behind my house and the stoop on the house behind ours. I'm like, that could have been shot right there. Just, I mean, the moss and the wetness of this movie and just, you just felt damp watching it, which is exactly how we feel right now. This time of year in Portland, it was perfect. It was perfectly Portland. It it was very Portland. It was a little too dark for my taste, the, the lighting of it. I mean, 
it felt like Portland in the worst part of winter, which I mean, is what it was going for. But as yeah. a film experience, like it was just a little too dark for me uh, at times uh, to me, it got a bit muddy and I'm watching it on a good screen too. So I, yeah. I would imagine if you're watching it on a lesser screen, it would look even worse. So that is one complaint, but it did, it did really sell the whole wet Northwest Portland thing. Yeah. I just, I think you, I was thinking about what, you know, for example, like some of my family and friends who are not from the Northwest, who maybe aren't as into food and food culture would think of this. And I think you have to have an open mind to really like this film because it is a little weird, right? It's weird in a wonderful way. It's dark, but it's also funny mm -hmm. and sweet. And I love the story of Rob Feld. I mean, he's a great character. Um, I loved his relationship with Amir. Um, they were so different, um, but perfectly paired together with coping with their various losses. You know, he's dealing with the loss of his wife um, and uh, Lori and Amir with his his mother, who's technically, I guess, still alive, but on life support. So he's grieving. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I just thought that it was it was perfect the way they paired them up together and how that relationship was built throughout the film. Yeah. And, and Amir's relationship with his dad, you know, is ob obviously awful dad. Um, and how food is one thing that can connect parents and children like that. Movies can do the same thing. Music. Um, or a couple that's on the, on the rocks, like his mother and father, when they were connected by that one meal mm -hmm. that uh, Rob Feld created for them and he remembered every detail of that meal i mean that just that speaks to the power of food it can't be overstated which is i guess the message of the whole film the underlying message of this film yeah the food brings people together and yeah. it's such an elemental human experience which also well go ahead you were going to say something you know it's it's crazy because at certain points i was like what the heck is this a joke is this like a comedy um, because it was like organized crime over this truffle pig and these truffles, right? And I don't know the world of of truffles and and mushrooms, culinary mushrooms very well, right? But I was like, this is crazy over the top. And then um, I thought, why not, right? Food is, as we've discussed, life changing, right? People take it so seriously, especially in a city like Portland, so it can transform your mood, it, just like drugs. So then I, I thought, well, it's believable. I mean, this is like what? One of the most important things about Portland uh, industry-wise is the food scene, right? For sure. So <laughs> this whole dark side of like trying to get truffles and stealing pigs is actually not too far-fetched. Yeah, I thought that was kind of a fun way to approach it too. It was a gangster movie in a yeah. lot of ways. I mean, replace the pig in the food industry with like gangsterism and something else, anything else. It didn't really matter what he was chasing. It's a gangster movie, just recontextualized. You know what I mean? It, it reminds me of like, um, uh, I'll sleep when I'm dead. I think there's a bunch of gangster movies like this. You know, the, the man wronged goes on a mission against the, the mob boss or whatever. Mm -hmm. He doesn't care what happens to himself. It's the same kind of concept, but just sort of twisted into this, food frame um 
I, th I think that I, I, I agreed. I noticed that as well as, as far as like the comparison to gangster films. And I thought that was pretty fascinating. Um, I was also thinking though, kind of backpedaling here to talking about how food can connect people. This is sort of a tangent, but I all, I'm always amazed when I meet people who are not food people. And I don't mean like foodies, like you're going to seek out the yeah. whatever. I mean, people who just view food as fuel. Fuel. Like people who try to convince me that Laughing Planet is a really good restaurant. Like it's just unseasoned rice and chicken in a burrito. Like it's good food if you don't care about food, for example. You know what I mean? I mean, it's why I'm kind of fat and like these people I'm talking about are not, I guess. Yeah. I like to eat. I like to cook. And I just don't understand going through life, just not really being that interested in how the food you're eating tastes. I agree. I think it's one of the most enjoyable parts of my life, not just eating, but cooking, but going to restaurants, shopping for food. I love shopping for food. Yeah. Um, if it's like no pressure and I'm like at the grocery store and I can shop for a nice dinner or I'm at the farmer's market, I love it. I love talking about food. Um, I didn't really start cooking a lot until I was in my late thirties, probably early forties, just because of my schedule. Mm -hmm. And I just didn't have the time. And then I got moved to this morning shift and every afternoon is like a Saturday or Sunday afternoon. Cause you have all this extra time. It's not extra time. You realize when the clock hits 7 PM, but <laughs> you think you do. So I, I, I started making more elaborate meals to the point where it was a little out of control bought a bunch of cookbooks, you know, started talking about taking more cooking classes and gained weight immediately. Yeah. I mean, there's a direct correlation between when I get on kicks and I cook a lot and I start gaining weight. So the only good thing about not liking food and not being into food yeah. is you maintain a healthier weight for sure. I am a almost 20 pounds since the start of COVID. I am at the second fattest I've ever been in my life. And the first fattest, I was in a funk, like a depressive funk in college. So like I had a more of a reason to be fat then. And like now it's just because I'm cooking so much more. When COVID hit, I was home for so many more hours in the day. And like all I had going on was, well, let's make a really nice dinner tonight. And when you do that three or four times a week, hey, guess what? And you're eating the leftovers. Yes, exactly. And I'm like sitting in the kitchen for four hours with red wine and like taking my time and nibbling here and there. And it's really, really hard to get out of that habit because it's awesome. Yeah. I mean, right. If there were no consequences, that would be it's great. So fun. And I mean, it's healthier food, but I think I just eat more of it healthier um, when you compare it to like eating crap food, like at a fast food place or even like you know, whatever restaurant or, you know, I'm not going out. I'm not eating a lot of garbage food in restaurants. Or, or I don't understand convenience foods at home. Yeah. Convenience I mean. food. Exactly. We never do that. Um, I don't understand the people either. I have a friend who I have so many common interests with, and he always used to talk about how he wished he could just take a pill instead of eating. And I, I, I would ask him like, well, what do you look forward to on vacations or when you're in a new city? For me, it, almost seems like my itinerary is just built around meals. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Wherever well, I am in the world. We were just talking before we started rolling. I just was in Las Vegas for a convention, which is why we didn't have a show last week. And the entire before I, you know, we planned anything else out. I'm like, well, where are we going to eat this time? Because in Vegas, you can get 
just incredible food. So we mapped it out. First night, we're going to, we went to the Jose Andres restaurant where he does Chinese food and Mexican food. And they're just on the menu side by side. And it was fantastic. The second night, we went out for oysters and shrimp and steak at Bavette's mm-hmm. in Park MGM. Went to, uh, <laughs> I don't need to list all these places, but we went to a bunch of great places. And that was the, that's the bedrock of the entire trip. Of, of course, my work stuff is the reason we're there, but like, yeah, what else do you do? You know, that's what you're going to remember. I mean, any any vacation I can think of, um, I think that the top of mind is, oh, remember when you ate that paella in Paris? I actually had one of the best meals of my life in Paris, and it was randomly paella in Paris, or like. You know, in Athens, people always ask me, oh, what should I do in Athens? And I tell them, you got to go to this pork or this um, lamb chop place in Plaka, which is a neighborhood under the Acropolis. And it's just kind of a hole in the wall little place, this restaurant. They have the best lamb chops you'll ever eat. I mean, it's what it's what I think of anytime I want to visit a new place. I want to go to Argentina so I can have Argentinian food. Mm-hmm. Like that's on my bucket list because I want that food. That uh, That's the way to experience life. What else are you going for when you travel, right? The yeah. views and maybe some art. <laughs> Museums, what history. What else no. is there? Well, that's what I say, the art. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Like there's stuff to look at, but that's only part of it. You know what I mean? You know, like when we went to, uh, we went to Thailand yeah, I loved going to the beach every day, but what I loved was trying all kinds of crazy, awesome Thai food every night at a different place and wow. trying new things. And it was amazing. The best thing I ate on the entire trip was like street food that, you know, it was like these little grilled meats that I paid a dollar for in Bangkok. You know what I mean? Yeah. And when we went to Peru, the best food I ate my entire trip to Peru was some sort of animal. Uh, it was awful not awful, but awful, you know, the parts of the animal we don't often yeah. eat. Like kid, I think they were kidneys perhaps, yeah. but they had this crazy sauce on it and I paid 50 cents for them. And they, I just kept incredible. Eating. It was yeah. incredible. And yeah. that was, the, and I went, I, that was the best part of my trip to Peru. What kind of food do you like to cook, Nick? I know you like, do like smoke a lot of meats and like you, you do do a lot of barbecue and stuff like that. Well, the meat smoking is relatively new, actually. I got it. Uh, I got a smoker for my birthday about one year ago. My birthday's next week. And so I got just FYI, keep that, tuck that away. Yep, um, write it in my notes. I got us, I got a smoker for my birthday. So that's relatively new, although I have been enjoying it. I love to make Mediterranean food. I love to make Mexican food. I, I like foods. I've realized this about myself. I like foods that are not one big thing. I like foods that have lots of components that you can mix and match and eat with your hands and try different flavors and textures together. So, for example, I like spaghetti, right? Everybody likes spaghetti. But if you're going to ask me to cook a meal, I'm not going to cook that unless someone else wants it. I want I because that's just one thing you eat with a fork. Does this make sense? That's why I yep, love absolutely. sushi train or absolutely. I like tapas, you know, that sort of thing. Are you a wing it kind of guy? Like you can just throw stuff together with what you've got in the fridge and pantry and just make something delicious? For sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's like, that's a skill. That's something that you build. Yeah. And time. I'm not, I wish I was. You will I, if you keep cooking. Well, I mean, I think I'm a little too anal to be that way. I like following recipes. Um, I can't just throw it together without the little bit of panic that ruins the experience for me. 
Mm-hmm. I'll follow a recipe from New York Times cooking or America's Test Kitchen to a T. And Bill will come in and be like, well, it doesn't matter if you leave this out or put that in. And he's right, but I want it, I want to do it just right, like a good student. And I also like the hosting entertaining side of it, like uh pairing the meals with with cocktails or whatever, just kind mm-hmm. of creating the whole menu. So I think for me overall. That's what I like about it, but I don't think I'm an organic cook. Like, I don't think I'll ever be like my mom or like you, where it's like, oh, I'm going to take these leftovers and make something fantastic. I I disagree in that. So so I, not that I don't follow recipes ever. Of course I do, especially when I'm trying something new, but you build up the, the foundation so you can make those adjustments and you just sort of know yeah. how to make something. I just need to let, I need to let go a little bit, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Take because- chances. especially if you're just cooking for your family. Yeah. You know, if you make a mistake and it isn't the best one you made, then it isn't like I made tzatziki last night. We were just talking about that before this as well. And I didn't make it that good, but it's fine. I'll make it fine. I'll make it better next time. You know what I mean? I used the wrong yogurt and I couldn't find the dill. So I used this pickle seasoning we have. And, you know, it doesn't matter. What does it matter? What what yogurt do you use? Well, I like to use the Greek yogurt, but all we had yeah. was like the Nancy's, like the loose oh, yeah. American style yogurt. Yeah, that's too watery. Yeah, I don't like it. Back uh, in the 80s, before there was Greek yogurt in the US, there was always three or four containers of American yogurt in cheesecloth straining in the fridge. And everyone used to come over and make fun of us and be like, oh, the Greeks, what the hell's going on in your fridge? But my mom would be straining yogurt to make Greek yogurt. Good for her. Yeah. And I just tell people just, it has to be the Greek yogurt. Sorry. And I also thought I hated everyone else. No, I always thought I hated yogurt until like I had Greek yogurt and I'm like, oh, this is the stuff. So delicious. All right. Uh, Back to pig. Oh, that. Yes. The thing we're supposed (laughs) to be talking about. Um, I did love the, uh, the scene when he goes into the hoity toity restaurant, um, Eurydice, I can't say it right. It seems like a Greek word. How is it pronounced? I don't know. Bill was trying to pronounce it for me, but that was amazing. That scene was so great. Um, Let me look it up. A pretty brutal takedown of this sort of uh, over-intellectualized food. Yeah. So this guy was a prep chef, prep cook for him. And he fired him. Rob fired him for overcooking the pasta, right? Mm-hmm. Over, and um, repeatedly overcooking the pasta. Yeah, repeatedly overcooking the pasta. And now he's like this hoity-toity uh, restaurant tour. And um, Rob reminds him of what he wanted to do, um, that he sold out his artistic integrity, basically, uh, for this bullshit commercial restaurant with a ridiculous presentation. When they were putting the food down and talking about it, I mean, my eyes were rolling. I I actually do not enjoy that when you go to a fine restaurant and it's just over the top like that. Mm-hmm. Um, fortunately, I don't think that happens too often in Portland. Um, but that was so great, and the guy was just shaken to his core because Rob was right. Well, and it's also because Rob knew who he was. Yeah, as opposed to some regular schmo coming in who's just gonna fawn over that. It's like this sort of when you when you are someone who doesn't have a lot of self-confidence and is faking it the whole time anyway, when someone who actually knows you, I, I can just see how that would be devastating to hear that. Yeah. Yeah, it was good. Um, so he he wanted to make an English pub. 
Although he says pubs aren't big here. And I'm like, well, that's not really true in Portland. I mean, I feel like if you had a really kick-ass British pub, I mean, everybody's everybody's favorite bar in Portland is um, the horse brass. I mean, <laughs> that's a... I've always actually said this is the perfect city for an Irish pub, English pub scene. We need more of them. I mean, our weather's perfect, like a cozy bar with good beer and a wood-burning fireplace, and I'm there every weekend. Yeah, and and beer that is a sessionable a beer, because, you know, these big IPAs have too much booze, like, you can only have two of them. Yeah, exactly. You know, you're done. Um, that was always the problem when we lived by the horse brass. In fact, you know, there were all these big beers and we would have two and just stumble home. Like I only had two beers. Why do I feel so drunk? You know? Yeah, uh, so, yeah. but, but yeah. And, and I think one area in Portland, this is a very Portland specific, but I don't, I, I haven't been to a lot of buildings or bar spaces or that feel lived in, which is something I really want. I want a place that feels really cozy and comfortable. There's a lot of like, uh, concrete floors and modern uh, modern steel glass very you cool want colors. something it, you you need to go to the grog in newburyport massachusetts where i'm from it's several hundred years old and it's where people would just get off get off a boat walk a block grab a beer fireplaces all over the place the same like wide pine floors from you know hundreds of years ago and it is super cozy but portland's so new yeah Relatively. And that's one of the great things we were talking about. Huber's. Huber's actually has that feel to me. A lot of dark wood. You can tell this place has History. been here a long time. Yeah. yeah. Uh, um, again, we veered far away from this movie. Let's talk so. about that fight scene underneath Pioneer Courthouse Square. Um, that was the point in the movie where I was a little bit confused and it went kind of like, what? What's happening here? Um, wh what was going on there? It was like Fight Club, and they had these cards that I didn't understand that they were throwing on the ground. What what was that all about? I didn't get a lot of that either. I'll be perfectly honest with you. I didn't quite understand what was happening there other than he needed to go there to talk to somebody to get a clue about where his pig was. That's so he got thing. his ass kicked so he could get to this person he needed to have a conversation with. Yeah, like he willingly got his... Obviously, this is not a true Fight Club in the way we, you know, we think of it in the movie Fight Club. This was a sign up to punch somebody and then get punched so you can punch someone else, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, and there are all these intense people. I'm like, are they supposed to be servers or cooks or what's happening? Like the guy like, who kicked his ass was supposed to be a server, right? Yeah. I, I worked in the restaurant business when I was in high school and college, and it is definitely crazy behind the scenes, but we were never beating the shit out of each other in the basement or anything like that. Yeah, but you weren't a lifer. You were like a high school. That's true. I did work in a place. I worked in a place where I think I'm assuming these people were lifers. I mean, they're to me, they seem like lifers already, even though they were probably only in their late 20s because I was 19. But I, sh I should not have gotten this job. I walked in off the street looking for a job and the owner asked me to spin around. It was a woman. <laughs> and she's like, okay, and you're hired. You have to wear a black turtleneck, black pants. We prefer you to wear your hair down, which is a red flag because it's a restaurant because it's sexier. And it was called Division 16. And it was in an old um, it was in an old jail, the Boston Police Department's old Division 16 jail. And it was like this renovated building. And it was the most insane place. I could not keep up. I kept getting um, cut early 
during the lunch hour because I was that crappy of a waitress. But everyone else was like in the bathroom between tables, just snorting Coke the whole time. I mean, these were like really intense and they were making so much money. And I was going home with eight bucks after having three tables. I'm like, what? What is wrong with me? Well, I wasn't doing Coke. So, well, they, they all, they, first off, they needed the, the 20s to roll up the $20 tips to snort the cocaine. And then, of course, if you're having that lifestyle, you've got to support it with the big money, right? So. It was crazy, too. And they were all sleeping with each other after work. And, it, you know, you hear these stories. This was like the early early to mid-90s. Did you ever work in restaurants? Not really, no. Uh, I, <laughs> I worked at uh, a place for kids to play at, and there was a kitchen there, and I ran yeah, Hopefully none office. of this shit was going on there. No, no. We had a... Yeah, it was it was not Just like that. They, they mean, there was definitely some people dogs. having sex with each other, but <laughs> I wasn't one of them. Yeah, so I didn't understand the fight scene. Um, and I was like, this is kind of crazy. But and then it just kind of we didn't see that again. It just kind of. Yeah, disappeared. But how much more could you have seen? I know it was confusing, though. I was like, what's the point? Uh, I guess they just needed to get him somewhere. That, that was the one thing that didn't feel like real life to me. Yeah. I just don't. It was surreal. It did feel like a dream. It felt like one of his dreams or something. Yeah. Um, I mean, it worked. It definitely was like, especially in such a still movie. It was a yeah. bit of life. Because it is. Yeah, I mean, this movie, movie is weird in that it it de-escalates towards the end. Like you start and it's pretty it's pretty violent, especially when the 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 pig is stolen and it's like really traumatic scene, and he's out and he's in portland and he's on the hunt for this pig and it sort of starts to slow down as he's building this relationship with amir and the backstory is developing and i liked that it sort of moves in reverse yeah that's a great way to put it um the, the climax of the movie actually happens about three quarters or two-thirds of the way through and then the rest is aftermath and coming to grips with what happened and your life and addressing the, you know what I mean? They actually yeah. have to like think about their grief and the yeah. thing that the movie builds up to turns out to be kind of a big nothing almost with, you know, he finds out that the pig died during the robbery. Um, So what he was after is gone and he has his breakdown and sort of makes him, I don't know. You, you you know, it affects him emotionally in a way you didn't see the rest of the movie. And then after that, he after having told Amir he didn't want to see him anymore, he forgives him and they starts to look. You know, it's that idea that he's going to start moving forward, perhaps yeah. now. The final shots are him walking into his little shack and just sort of sitting down and listening to his wife's voice. Finally, yeah. I just thought um it just said so much about Nicolas Cage as an actor. You know, we don't even know this pig's name. It's just pig. I don't even know if the pig had a name. Mm -hmm. um, never comes up. Doesn't matter. Just, you know, referred to it as pig. But he's so good. We understand how much he really loves this animal. And I was crushed when I caught the news. It's like, how am I emotionally attached to this pig? It's because Nicolas Cage just was amazing. Because you, I mean, I don't, yeah, you expect at some point for this pig to pop up again that there's going to be some reunion or some sort of violent confrontation in which he wins back the pig, but that's not how life works. You know what I mean? So that's not how the movie works. And it was, it was kind of like, it was kind of neat in that way. Yeah. 
This is the Nicolas Cage. Um, obviously, we saw in like leaving Las Vegas. He just does such a great job of letting Rob's rage bubble up in exactly the right amount at the right times. Um, and Alex Wolf is really good too as a mirror. Mm-hmm. I thought his acting was great. Uh, trying to figure out exactly who he is. He's so like conflicted about like who he wants to be. How can he be a success? You know, is that driving a, a Camaro and wearing nice clothing? Is it making it on its own, making it on his own? Um, the relationship with his father and that tension. Um, Adam Arkin was great, mm-hmm. I thought. Well, and back to Wolf real quick too. Like you talk about Cage's rage bubbling up at the right times. You see the same thing with Alex Wolf's character's insecurity. You know, he's he's gives the impression of trying to be this confident, slick guy, but you see just in subtle ways, and then later as the movie goes on, less subtle ways, how it just deeply insecure he is and how it just sort of comes out. Um, and I and I thought that was really well played because it wasn't like he wasn't over the top with it. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, it was definitely uh, just the signs of insecurity and him um, just trying to prove something because of all the real issues in his life. And I kept thinking, well, as this guy evolves as a person, there's no way he's going to be the Camaro guy. He's going to be the guy who values the expensive suit and stuff. He will be more like Rob. Mm -hmm. Which means, you know, he's going to sell the Camaro by a Subaru, like a real Northwesterner. He's kind yeah, of how, hiking boots and flannel. How, I mean, I love, I love, um, I love when a TV show or a film gives you the cooking sequence. So I love the scene in the kitchen at Amir's dad's house when they're secretly putting together this meal, <laughs> uh, you know, and the purpose is to obviously break the dad's heart and break him down a little bit. Um, but I love those cooking sequences. And the whole time I'm thinking, what a shame that, Rob doesn't have a restaurant anymore because I need to go there. <laughs> well, and that is one area too, where the darkness of the film let me down a little bit because you wanted I, to see more, literally see more of it. Yeah. I wanted to see that meal for what it was. And it just, I mean, we know it was squab and some stuff, but like just the brightness of the colors of presumably some sort of like, you know, berries or something that would go with that. You know, yeah. I don't know. I, it would have been nice to see color in that, in that scene. Even in the beginning, when he's cooking up what looked like like some kind of breakfast crepe or something, and he gives it to the pig. Do you know what he was cooking? It was I a don't mushroom know what that tart. Was. Because remember oh, was that, it? Okay, that's right. He the put beginning. the mushrooms in. Yeah. I wanted to see more of that. Mm-hmm. I was just sort of hint at that point. Yes. They're just teasing us with his, his skills. I think that if they showed us it it then, it would be too much foreshadowing yeah. to who he is. I mean, you can kind of parse it out a little bit because some backwoods homeless guy is not going to make a mushroom tart. That's true. That's but, true. Oh God, I could taste it though, and in, in that um, in that cast iron pan, um, yeah, that was good. I I just I I don't know what I'm saying. I That's all right. There's so that. much to there's so much to go all over. Right. We just keep coming back to food. Have you noticed? I know. I keep like drifting off into this world where I'm like eating at uh, his restaurant and tasting. I don't know what kind of meat he put down on the table in front of Adam Arkin, but it looked delicious. The presentation was good too. I think that was squab or pigeon. Was it squab? Yeah. Yeah. You can go to Le Pigeon and eat that there, right? So um, that is a great restaurant I've been to. 
I've only been once. It's been about 15 years. Jessica Moss took us there. I had a yeah, I think okay you were there experience for that. there. I, I had an okay experience there. It was on my anniversary. I wasn't having the best day. So I think it kind of, eh, kind of screwed things up for me. And uh, I need to go back. I love Canard mm -hmm. next door. And I just haven't gotten a reservation at Le Pigeon again. But I need to give it another shot. I need to get a babysitter. And then I'll do that too. That's exactly. Uh, we have a 13-year-old girl who lives in our neighborhood now who comes over. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah, she's only nine bucks an hour, which is great. But like, you know, I can't, we can't stay out too late and we can't, you know, I don't know. We don't want to get too far away from home in case something happens. She's only 13. So it's like, you know, we have the parents around sometimes, but. Do you have like, can trust you in an emergency neighbors? Like we, we tell sure. the kids just run next door, bang on the door. We'll be fine. Yeah, for sure. Our neighbors are great. Um, we have right next to us and then across the street. They're all, oh, they're all great. in fact, Emil, who lives across the street, listens to our podcast and wants to discuss some of these movies with me. So it's nice. good. Um, okay, cool. So. All right. What haven't we talked about um, as far as the movie goes? I don't know. I feel like we've talked about yeah. pretty much everything in the movie. Um, I want to try the salted baguette too, by the way. It sounds oh, amazing. Oh, God, it's that looked nice good, butter. right? And that, and he took an extra one for himself. I was like, very good. I looked to see if this was nominated for any Oscars. I was surprised that it wasn't. And then I saw that it was a snub. And I read that Nicolas Cage said he never expected a nomination. He thought that the film achieved what it needed to, to achieve. And there was a bunch of articles. There were a bunch of articles on like how he didn't really care because, you know, he did what he did and he was proud of it. And I still can't believe it didn't get nominated for anything. Yeah. According to Cage, this is his favorite film he has starred in, and he considers it his best performance, which is saying something considering he has an Oscar. Wow. I didn't see that. I would say that this is, if not the best performance, definitely up there, you know, with leaving Las Vegas for sure. I, I think it got snubbed. And I'll be honest with you. I think it got snubbed because it was so subdued. It was not a flashy movie. It was not a flashy acting performance. Um, he didn't raise his voice more than once. You know, he got mad at uh, Amir when he found out it was Amir's dad and kicked the car. It's the only time he spoke above a low grumble. So I have a feeling that hurt him in that process. You know, there's no actorly showy, showy sort of things, really. Maybe the restaurant scene where he's, dressing down his former not dressing down but you know what i mean he's talking to his former all i'm saying is you imagine the oscars there's no move there's no scene in this movie where you can imagine the clip they play you know what i mean yeah yeah they they need like a, an over-the-top dramatic trailer and they don't get that from this um i yeah i just thought it, for acting alone it should have been nominated. That's crazy. And I wonder if this is this is the direction Nicolas Cage is going to go in. I mean, he hadn't been doing a lot for a while. Came well, he back had in, been doing a lot for a while, but nothing. Right, for money. For yeah. money, right? Uh, so he was making some money. Doesn't seem like he was too proud of a lot of it. And now he's back as Nicolas Cage, the actor, the thespian. <laughs> Well, I mean, from what I understand, and I'm not an expert, but he made a lot of poor financial decisions and he had to pay for those decisions. And now he can be choosier and 
he's lucky he's so talented and well-regarded that he didn't destroy his own career doing that. Because if you look at a lot of other actors who have his of his age and era who have done that sort of thing, you know, Bruce Willis, no, this health is pretty much done, but Bruce Willis sort of followed a lot of that, right? High profile, big stuff, just slowly getting worse and worse into these no theatrical release kind of movies. And that's where Nicolas Cage was at. So he's kind of the rare actor who's able to get back out of climb back out of that. Did he lose his money to Bernie Madoff? Nicolas Cage? Yeah. I don't know that, about that, but okay. I do know he lost a lot of money just foolishly spending it on crazy stuff because oh. he was making so much money that he thought it would always keep coming in. Huh. Interesting. Like he bought a dinosaur skull. You know what I mean? He spent six million or some ridiculous amount on a dinosaur skull. So, you know. Uh, it's funny because, you know, when I see a film like this, I think, how how is that Nicolas Cage? Because in my mind, he does such a great acting job that I think he's more like Rob Feld in real life than Nicolas Cage. Sure, I could totally see that. And Rob would never buy a dinosaur skull and blow his money on that. <laughs> He has a shitty pickup truck and he lives in Welch's and in a little shack in the woods. You think it's Welch's? I was always thinking I was trying I don't to know, like rhododendron Welch's somewhere up there on the way to to the hmm. mountain. I have no idea. In my head, it was like down farther south in like the valley somewhere. But I don't know where it would have the forest like that. So probably. Yeah, I mean, I was trying to think of where um, mushroom pickers go and where they get lost. And I just know that a lot of them do get lost in the Mount Hood National Forest, but I'm not sure where the good spots are, obviously. He does. Uh, uh, do we have anything else to say about this movie? I think we've covered it. No, right? I like it. I liked it. I like it, Nick. No, I liked it. I think um, I would recommend it. I want to watch it again. I had Bill watch it the same day that I watched it later, and he really enjoyed it, too. It's a great film. I would recommend it for sure. And I, I think it t says a lot about Portland in, in interesting ways, just as far as, you know, you can see it all. It kind of talks about some of the values here in Portland with food, like we talked about um, the weather, obviously, as well. Um, but I think also just as a character study, it's it's really fascinating movie that I think will endure as a cult classic, if nothing else. What are we watching next week? So next week, so long as we can get this scheduled, and I think we can, we are going to do our final installment of Oregon Month with a movie I have never seen, and I don't know if you've seen it, Bandits. I have never seen it, but we have a special friend. Yeah, so this movie, Bandits, stars Bruce Willis and Kate Blanchett and Billy Bob Thornton as a group of criminals who take hostage a bank manager and his family in an effort to rob the bank. It was shot in Silverton, Oregon, and it is based on true life bandits. And our guest is a former coworker of ours who has a very special connection to the movie. I'm not going to give away much more because I want him to tell his own story, but it is going to be very, very interesting, I believe. And somebody we both have, you know, a fond opinion of. So I think it'll be he's also a very funny guy. So I think it'll be a pretty good conversation. Yeah, I think it's going to be really fun. And I think we saved the best one for last for Oregon Movie Month. Film Swap is produced and hosted by Angelica Thornton and Nick Vole. You can watch or listen on YouTube, Spotify, Anchor, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Follow Angelica on Twitter at AngelicaKATU and follow Nick at Nick Vole. Share your thoughts on the films we discussed there and we might just read them on the show. Music by John Michael Farley and Nick Vole.